Environmental, Social, and Governance (ESG) has become a critical element for companies in today's reality. ESG strategies can help companies achieve long-term sustainability, drive economic vibrancy, and deliver long-term value through effective engagement with stakeholders. This is KPMG's Privately Speaking podcast, and in this episode, KPMG audit partner and host Erica Whitmore sits down with Mora Hodge. Audit partner in our KPMG ESG and sustainability practice to discuss delivering long-term value with ESG. Hello, my name is Erica Whitmore, and I'm a partner in KPMG's audit practice and the host of the Privately Speaking podcast series. So, as some of you are probably aware, this series features private enterprise advisors and business leaders addressing topics to help you evolve your business, embrace technology, plan for an exit. Or manage wealth transition. Today, I'm super excited.、Uh, I have Mora Hodge here with me. So, Mora, Mora is the national lead of our ESG assurance practice, and that's a practice that's gained a lot of traction over、um, recent months. I know they're they're super busy, so I'm really excited to、uh, have Mora here with us today.、Um, and Mora, would you introduce yourself to our listeners today? Absolutely. Thanks, Erica. So I'm happy to be here. I am an audit partner out of KPMG's Boston office, and I also lead our ESG assurance practice here in the United States. My interest and passion for sustainability and ESG started probably while I was in college. I had been introduced to the concept of, of corporate responsibility my senior year、uh, during a strategy class, and was just captivated by the idea that. Businesses could have such an impact on the environment and on、um, on society through their operations, and so it was really important to me to think about how I could use my talents and my skills to be able to work in that area. So, first of all, when I decided on my major and, and decided what where I was going to work initially,、um, it was actually my, right after my sophomore year, right as the Enron scandal happened. And I remember sitting in my car and listening to the stories of people's lives just being devastated because of all the money they lost from their pensions in that scandal. And I thought, I never want that to happen again. I'm going to become an auditor, and、um, that's how I ended up in in、uh, at KPMG to begin with. And then you know this drive and this interest in sustainability and ESG really kept growing in me. As I was just working on my financial statement audit, and in 2010, I had the opportunity to help KPMG as we built out our climate change and sustainability practice globally, and was selected as the manager to assist、uh, the partner who was responsible for identifying service opportunities in the U.S. around assurance and audit of this information. And so I've been working on this for the past decade.、Um, I've seen a lot of changes in terms of how people think about ESG, and I'm really excited to share some of that experience with you today. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you, Mara, for for sharing that. So as we as we as we've talked about,、um, I think we've got a variety of different stage. Companies、um, in the audience here,、uh, different stages of their life cycle, and so I thought it would be really good to start with an overview because I do think that you know there are some folks that are listening that probably don't understand what ESG is.、Um, a lot that probably do, and and some that are probably you know have their companies hope hopefully on the forefront of this. But if you could spend just a few minutes, kind of giving us an overview. 
um, of, of ESG. I think that would be great. Of course. And I'll be the first to admit, this is a really confusing area, and it's being defined and thought about by every individual person probably a little bit differently. So I think it's sure. totally fair to <laughs> ask that question and, and to, to get that the basics. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. So there are ways that you think about how a company impacts the environment, how it impacts society, and then what the governance practices of the company are. When we talk about ESG at KPMG and with my clients, we think about it as a framework. So how, how do you use the ESG lens within your company as you're going through your risk assessments, as you're building out your strategy? So thinking through the environmental impact that you have, whether that be on climate change and your greenhouse gas emissions as a result of your direct operations or those within your supply chain. From a society or a social perspective, a lot of that focuses on your customers and your employees, and in particular around diversity. And then the governance piece has been around for a long time, I would say. You know, it's a focus on controls and internal audits that are being performed board governance, structure of ownership, those types of things. So those are some just examples of how you think about ESG and how we think about it as a framework. The term itself has been um, used interchangeably with some of those other terms I used previously, right? Citizenship, corporate social responsibility, sustainability, all of those things are kind of fall under the ESG umbrella too and, and sort of have their own definitions. But are often used interchangeably with this concept. So, Maura, one of our first podcasts um, was on, you know, the virtual workforce and working from home. And a lot of things that we talked about was talent and human capital. Um, can you talk just a little bit about, you know, that aspect of ESG? Absolutely. So one of the areas of great focus today, and in particular, I think because of the civil unrest in the United States this, this past year, as well as the impact of COVID on the workforce, the concept of human capital has really come to the forefront. And so companies are thinking about how do we uh, not only um, take care of our employees that we have today, but also how do we attract that talent? And we are seeing with the new millennial generation coming into the workforce and starting to move into management roles and leadership roles, a real demand for a focus on ESG issues within the company. And so as I think about high growth companies that are looking to attract talent, you know, we all know that there's a huge talent war out there. And a large component of being able to attract uh, people to your company is really around how is your purpose established and do they feel like they're being a part of something that is beneficial to society as a whole? Yeah, we, we, we dug up a stat on this um, that said that by 2029, the millennial and Gen Z generations will make up 72% of the world's workforce compared to 52% in 2019. Um, and as you just said, Maura, you know, clearly they place a greater importance on environmental and social concerns than maybe the earlier generations. That's a really broad statement, right? But I, I think we're seeing it, you know, I'm seeing it across my clients. I'm seeing it across, um, you know, just everybody that you interact with, really, it's becoming, you know, more and more important. 
So coming back to kind of our audience, um, you know, looking through the high growth company lens, you know, um, what are some things that companies can start doing today, um, regardless of what stage of growth that they're in, um, as well as some things that they can put into place, you know, for a year or maybe a two-year strategy as it relates to ASG? I think that when companies and, and people start to look at ESG, they think, oh, this is going to be a huge undertaking and it's going to take a ton of resources and where do I even begin? Because it can be really big and really broad. You think about all of those topics I mentioned that fall under ESG and then you can multiply them by 50 if you really wanted to. Right. It's, it's huge. Um, so, you know, where do you start as a smaller company? And I think the first place is to take inventory of what you're already doing. How, what, what ESG activities do you already have in place? Because we've often seen and heard from clients that it's not that they're not doing anything, they're just not telling their story. Yep, so exactly. how do we take that and understand, um, you know, how do we tell our story around those things that, that, that we're already doing? I'm going to just jump in really quick there because I do think this is important. So if we think about just just if we pause there and think about telling their story about things that they are already doing or maybe some things they can put into place quickly, what's a good way for private companies to do that, given they don't necessarily have the public mechanism that a public company would have? I think that's a great question, Erica. And what I would say is a lot of it is just kind of website reporting or other materials that you're putting out to your customers as well as your employees. It's it's a question of what do you want to be known for and how does that get built into your branding and your communications with your stakeholders? Yeah, absolutely. And I think social media would be a good place too, right? And, you know, some companies are better than than that than others, but I think regardless of whether you're a consumer-facing company or you're, you know, B2B, I think social media is another place that you can, you know, tout what you're doing, right? And I think we've seen quite a few companies take advantage of that. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And then once you've done that inventory, the next step is really to understand what you're missing. So maybe you do a lot of things or maybe you don't do a lot of things, but it's, understanding still what is being expected of you. So if you're thinking about going public in the next couple of years, being on top of what investors are looking for and asking for is really important. And I think we'll dig into that a little bit later. But then outside of that, just being able to interview and survey your customers and your employees to understand what topics are important to them and start thinking about how do we address those issues. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe a couple more things on on this point. If you were to pick, you know, one to three, you know, really quick hits that companies, you know, regardless of size could do, you know, maybe assume they're not doing much or they're not doing anything, what would those one to three things be? If I think about what most company strategies or at least, you know, core components of a, a business operations are, One of the first areas I think of is talent. So what are your diversity and inclusion efforts? How are you thinking about them? You know, what percentage of, you know, male to female within management do you have? What uh, what is that percentage at the board level? What percentage of underrepresented um, 
people groups do you have in your organization? So thinking about how you're going to implement diversity and inclusion within your organization and then uh, tracking that and, and providing metrics over that. The second area that we often see this come up is within operations, particularly if there's manufacturing involved and whether you're doing the manufacturing or outsourcing it, it's really important to be thinking about, you know, where are you sourcing your product from and, and what do you want to be known for there? Is it uh, United States uh, manufactured or is it being manufactured somewhere else around the world? What are the risks around the labor force uh, in those factories around the world? What's the environmental impact of your product and how are you mitigating that? So understanding some of those sourcing concerns and what the risks to your business might be in those areas and, and how you mitigate them. And would you say, Maura, if, if we're thinking about companies that work in, you know, maybe they're they're more of a services company, right? They they either provide a technology or or other some other type of service, I think also looking at their vendors, right? And, you know, all of the companies that they work with in order to provide their service, um, you know, what are those companies' reputations? What are those companies doing? Those types of things? Absolutely. We're seeing some of the larger companies setting goals for themselves and then pushing it through their supply chain. In order right. to uh, procure and use you as a vendor, they're asking you to do reporting on your greenhouse gas emissions and your efforts to reduce those. So yeah. you may not have a choice in terms of you, how you deal with climate change, um, depending on what kind of expectations are set on you from your vendors. Another right. area that um, vendor influence is impactful is, is around diversity. And so, you know, especially with government contracts and, and some other businesses, um, trying to find women and minority-owned businesses that, that you're procuring from is important. And so kind of thinking about how that impacts your leadership structure. Yeah, absolutely. That's really helpful. Thank you, Maura. So I think the next section that we wanted to touch on um, just briefly um, was reporting and just kind of what we're seeing in terms of the SEC and the NASDAQ, um, as well as the upcoming administration. Just your, your thoughts on that. Right. So uh, the SEC recently issued their modernization of Reg SK over the summer in 2020. And as of November 9th, all public companies are required to have a human capital disclosure in their 10K. So this requires a description of human capital, the number of employees that the company has, as well as how they're managing human capital. And so this kind of um, is, is a bit open right now from a, a principles-based perspective in terms of what gets disclosed, but we are seeing some pretty robust disclosures uh, starting out. And so as you're thinking about potentially going public, this will be something that you do have to disclose um, in your 10K. From a Biden administration perspective, the focus is absolutely going to be on climate change, and we're already hearing some things from the SEC in terms of required reporting there. Initially, it may just be climate risk and what some of the physical and transitional risks are to you and to your business, but I think that it may also come along with some metric reporting as well. So what's, what are your energy management uh, numbers? You know, how, how many um, kilowatt hours of electricity are you using or, or how much greenhouse gas are you emitting into the atmosphere? So we, we see that coming. 
And then with respect to the NASDAQ, they have actually added to their listing rules a requirement to have board diversity. So I believe it's at least two women on the board and then uh, two people from under underrepresented uh, people groups or LGBTQ. So, um, you know, it's starting to be seen everywhere in, in regulation. And the other thing that we talked about earlier, Maura, was in terms of financing. And I think, you know, we're seeing this in spades kind of across all spectrums, I would say, of, you know, equity financing, debt, et cetera. Um, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, companies' ability to get capital and or, you know, what are we seeing in terms of trends of, of you know, PE firms, et cetera, and how important this is to them? So I think it's wildly important uh, to, to financings. Um, from a debt perspective, we are seeing a huge uptick in green and social bonds and sustainability-linked bonds. And those instruments have with them um, some better interest rates in some situations or interest rates that are actually linked to ESG targets and goals and meeting them. And so the cost of capital is really being affected by a focus on ESG right now. And so companies can issue these bonds to either use them to support investments that they're making. And often we're actually seeing some companies issue these bonds in what's called a pure play. So if the company itself is working on something like electric vehicles or some new technology for clean energy, they can use those bonds, call them green, and use them for, for regular operations because everything that the company is doing and their whole purpose is, is considered to be green. So it's definitely a potential financing option, and it also often has better rates. If we move on to the equity side of things, we're absolutely seeing private equity uh, investing more and, and focus more on ESG. Many of the large private equity firms are creating impact funds, and so um, they are showing that they can have collinearity or both financial returns and market returns as well as impact returns. And it's been interesting to see how they've been deploying that capital. We're also seeing a trend with large corporations creating their own venture capital arms um, and investing in, you know, companies that are focused on environmental and social issues. I think these are obviously issues that are, um, that there's a lot of technology that still needs to be developed and a lot of research and development around. And so, uh, you know, companies are both looking to be able to invest in the, the next big thing, but also to have an impact. So you mentioned something when we were chatting earlier, Maura, in terms of, you know, adoption, right? And I, so if you can speak just a little bit to, you know, not just public companies that are, you know, focused on this, but also what you're seeing in, in terms of private companies focused on this. Maybe where I'll start in terms of adoption is KPMG recently released a survey of sustainability reporting back in December. And we looked at the Fortune 100 companies in the United States. And that obviously included both public and private companies, but largest by revenues for the country. And we found that 98% of the Fortune 100 are reporting on ESG. 
and 82% of those companies are including it in their annual reports, so the kind of the glossy reports that are going out. Mm-hmm. Right. So adoption is um, really, has really stepped up, and, and most companies are reporting. And I think that, you know, you could say, well, that's only really relevant for the largest companies in the world or in the United States, but it's it's really becoming um, a de facto or kind of a mandatory requirement for all companies because there is both pressure from a peer perspective, pressure from an investor perspective, and whether that is institutional investors or, you know, public investors or private equity or venture capital or limited partners that are investing into um, private equity. I mean, it's it's all throughout the value chain. And so... um, Having, having these disclosures, having um, information available and really thinking about ESG has become really a requirement. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I think we mentioned earlier, um, as a consumer, right, I think to consumers, regardless of whether, again, it's a service or a product, I think it's becoming increasingly more important. So we talk about um, millennials and, and Gen Zs, that it's being very that it is being very important to them um, in terms of where they work. It's also really important to them in terms of what they consume and what they buy. Um, maybe very briefly, um, Maura, you know, the U.S. seems to have really, um, you know, grab, grabbed onto this and, and we're moving forward at lightning speed, it, se- it seems. But how do we compare to the rest of the world on ESG? Yeah, I think that Europe has historically been significantly ahead of us in the past. They have, uh, and and they continue to be ahead of us with respect to regulation and, and different things like that. But the United States is quickly, quickly catching up. And I think that we will, in the next couple of years, kind of be on par uh, with what's happening in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had mentioned this early and it piqued my interest. So in terms of the responsibility as it relates to taxes. Sure. This is a really interesting area. And so I think how it relates to early stage companies or high growth companies is just as you're growing and as you're thinking about structuring your business and what legal entities you set up and where you set them up, just really having an eye to this concept of tax responsibility. And if you were going to lay out everything on a piece of paper to share with the world, how much right. tax you're paying in each jurisdiction, um, how does it make you feel, and what do you think they're responsible Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Maura, maybe just to kind of wrap things up today, what, what would you say in closing that would be really important for everyone to hear? I think that ESG really needs to be thought of as how you have a long-term value creation strategy. How do these issues impact your long-term success? What we're seeing is that it is table stakes now and that if you don't do anything in these areas and if you're not contemplating them as a part of your business, you're not going to grow. And so it's an absolutely critical part of how you think about your company and how you think about your long-term success. Well, Maura, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, talk about this today. I think it's really, really important. I think it's going to continue to become even more important, um, really, for all companies. So thank you for taking the time today. Um, And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Um, We'll look forward to bringing you other insights on our next episode of Privately Speaking. 
Thank you for listening to KPMG's Privately Speaking podcast. And be sure to subscribe to this series to be notified of new episodes.